0: About six or seven hundred years before Jesus showed up, a prophet by the name of Isaiah wrote down what God had told him about what Jesus would endure. So when you get to Isaiah 53, it's one of those messianic prophecies, and it's kind of amazing how detailed Isaiah was six or seven hundred years before Jesus actually endured it. So I I don't know if you guys ever do this. Uh, in your church tradition, um, every once in a while I'll do this with our community, um, but there are, church, there are certain communities, every time the word of God is read, they'll stand. And so what I'm going to ask, and this is, I mean, there's nothing, it's not anything that's like hyper-spiritual, it's just a sense of respect. And why haven't we done it all week? We don't need to do it all week, it's not a legalistic thing. But what if we did it tonight, as we go into this passage and we go into this topic, what if for just a few verses, we read together Isaiah 53, 2 to 6. So if you do me a favor, would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? And let me read. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. Father, as I've prayed today, as I walked the tent during worship, Father, we pray that salvation would come. Father, we pray that those that you are drawing to Jesus, that Holy Spirit, those that you are convicting, would submit to the lordship of Jesus and receive adoption as sons and daughters. Oh, God, let us see the greatest miracle ever tonight. God, do a great work that leaves us amazed. Holy Spirit, move. And God, in all that you do, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. When everyone who agrees says, amen. Amen. You have a seat. See, Jesus is sitting around this table having his last supper. It's known as the Passover. All 12 were there, even Judas Iscariot. All of a sudden, in John chapter 13, Jesus puts on an apron. He takes off his outer coat, puts on an apron, and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Friends, this would have shocked every single one of his disciples. Why, this was the lowliest of lowly jobs. The servant of servants is the one who was assigned to this task and yet here is God in in the flesh going to his disciples and washing their feet guys I gotta be honest I'm so thankful that we serve a God who serves as part of who he is it wasn't just for this moment guys you even realize that he even washed the he washed the feet of the man who would betray him to death guys that one hits me every time Because I know that for some of you, maybe you've been hurt, like someone has hurt you bad, and I'm not going to downplay what you've experienced, but what I'm going to ask you is this. If Jesus could wash the feet of the one that would betray him to death, could you move to the place of trying, asking God, help me to forgive? Let me say, Brian, but if we sat down eye to eye, knee to knee, you would never ask me to do that, but Jesus would. And here's why. Friends, I'm convinced that forgiveness is more for you than the other person. It's God's gift to you so that you don't continue to live in bitterness. When you don't forgive, bitterness will well up and well up, and it will impact every area of your life. Every relationship will be impacted by that. Forgiveness is God's gift to you to bring you to freedom. And so you may say, Brian, I can't. Then this is what you say. God, I know that you want me to... I don't want to, but would you help me forgive? And you start praying for that person. I can't pray for that. You pray for that person, and you watch God start to soften you. And then remember, Jesus understands. If he forgave the one who betrayed him, he gets what you're going through. And then he shows up to Peter. And Peter goes, no, you're not doing it. You're not washing my feet. It's like Peter, and then Jesus says something like, I know, Peter, this doesn't make sense, but I have to do this. And Peter says, no. Okay, so the first time we don't understand with Jesus, he's like, I understand this doesn't make sense. But when he explains it, hey, it has to be this way. And then you say, no, Jesus then says, then you have no part with me. And he gets pretty direct with him. And then what's Peter say? <laughs> I, love, I love Peter because he's, he, he speaks before he thinks. Like his mouth just goes. And he goes, well, not just my feet, but my head, my whole body. Give me a bath. That's an awkward moment in the in this middle of this dinner. And Jesus is like, you don't, you don't, you don't need a bath, Peter. And Jesus finished, and when he was done, he took off the apron, put on his outer garment, looked at his disciples, and said, now you've see, what you've seen me do, go and do likewise. Followers of Jesus, we should be known for how we serve. The whole world should look at us and go, you believe some jacked up weird stuff, but I can't believe how much you love and serve us. Then all of a sudden, he looks at all of them and says, "One of you going to betray me tonight? And it's kind of sad when all the disciples are like, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? It's like, oh my gosh, what were you all thinking? Were you all thinking you're going to do this to me? He goes, no, it's the one who dips the bread into the cup with me. And that was Judas. He was doing it right then he says go do what you must do the bible says that satan entered into judas and judas went to find the religious leaders why because he's going to make arrangements he knows where jesus will be when he's by himself the religious leaders couldn't do anything when jesus was with a crowd because the crowd loved him but to get him while he's alone to arrest him and so he goes off jesus finishes this meal and he says let's go pray and when they get on the Mount of Olives, he takes the three, Peter, James, and John, and says, come here. But he had warned them in that room, all of you will fall away. All of you are going to take off tonight. They're like, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And then Peter, good old Peter, Peter says something like, yeah, wait, even if all of these follow, even if all these slackers take off, I never will. Man, I would, I would go to jail. I would die with you, Jesus. And the thing is, I think he meant it in that moment. So now in the garden, Peter, James, and John are standing here, and Jesus looks at him and says, I need you to pray. The Bible says that Jesus goes about a stone's throw away, and he collapses to the ground, and he begins to cry out to the Father. And at one moment in his prayer, he says, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. Your will be done. What's he talking about? Take this cup from me. Well, friends, in the Old Testament, the cup many times was the representation of the wrath of God. And so while Jesus is praying, he's saying, Father, and that word Father in the Aramaic is the word Abba. You guys know what the word Abba means? We think that it means Father, and it kind of does, but it's so much more personal than that. I've never called my dad Father, unless I was messing with him like, Father, Father, I called him dad. Abba is the word papa or dada. It's what a one and a half year old calls dad. So can you imagine Jesus collapsing to the ground going, Abba, take your wrath from me. But not my will, your will be done. The Bible says he goes back to the three and they fell asleep. (laughs) They fell asleep. Remember the, remember Peter who said he would die with Jesus? He couldn't even stay awake. And he used to judge them for that, but it's late at night. And I don't judge them anymore. Have you ever tried to pray when it's late? You ever tried to pray after you get into bed? And when, not during the summer. During the summer, you just feel like you're just sleeping in sweat. But I mean, well, that's just my life. But like, <laughs> but like when it's cold and you get under the covers and you start that wiggle, you know that wiggle, you're trying to find that spot. It's like, where is it? Where is it? Boop, there it is. That's it. Yep. <laughs> then you try to pray. God, thank you for... <sighs> gone. And like 13 and a half hours later, you wake up going, amen. <laughs> mm. I prayed all night. So I don't, I don't judge them anymore for it. But Jesus actually says, guys, you got to wake up. you got to pray. I know the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing, but you've got to pray. And there's something different about Jesus' countenance that night. Man, it seems like everything, it's almost like the weight of the world is on him. And so he goes away, begins to pray again, and he prays that same prayer. But guys, you also realize John chapter 17 is Jesus' prayer in the garden. And it's in that prayer that Jesus says something like this, Father, this is what I want. It's around verse tw- uh, 22, 23, somewhere around there, maybe 24. 24. He says, Father, this is what I want. And this is why I think it's so important. Because every other time that I see Jesus praying the Gospels, rarely do I hear him say, this is what I want. Most of the time you you hear him say, I only do the things I, I see the Father doing. Or only say the things that I hear him saying. But here as he's speaking to the Father, he's like, this is what I want. Do you know what he prayed for, what he wanted in the garden? This is what he says. Father, I want those that you have given to me. To be with me where I am and to see me in my glory. Guys, you know what he prayed for in the garden? Us. Us. He goes back to his disciples and they're sleeping. (laughs) Goes back and continues to pray. And Luke is the only one that records this part in his account of this. He says that Jesus began to sweat drops of blood. And some people say, oh, it's just poetic license. It's just trying to show how much agony he's in. I don't think so. I think he's literally speaking. Do you realize there's this medical condition called hematidrosis? That when you are terrified of something, you have so much pressure on you, the capillaries in your forehead can burst, and the blood will come out with your sweat. Jesus is terrified of what's coming. So when he prays three different times, Father, take this, take this cup from me. It's like he's saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go to the cross. But not my will, your will be done. Why would he continue? Why would he say that last part? Because he said, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see me in all of my glory. Guys, the writer of Hebrews words it this way. When he talks about Jesus, who we're supposed to focus on, looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Guys, you realize that the, the writer of Hebrews says, he endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. What's the joy set before Jesus? Us. he comes back to his disciples and they're still sleeping so he sees, and then he sees this little mound of people coming with torch and lanterns and clubs and and so he kind of bumps the three and the other disciples come toward and jesus wakes him up and says guys get up my betrayers at hand and leading that little mound of people is judas iscariot because i've always wondered why why did jesus or why did judas show up why walk in the front why not just, like, tail the back or just say that's where he'll be and take off? I remember hearing somebody preach this. I don't remember who it was. They said, when you, when, you watch, when you watch Judas, how could he be with Jesus for three years, see all the things that Jesus did, hear everything that Jesus said, and yet still be the person that would betray him to death? How could that be? And I know we could get into deep theological debates and conversations, and I'm not interested, but what if it came down to this you'll see judas is scared he at times he'll refer to him as teacher but never as lord that for some of you you've gone to church your whole life but has jesus ever been your lord i'm not asking if you accepted him as your savior because there's nothing in the bible that says accept him as your savior what the bible says is you're supposed to confess him as lord The word confess means to say something in such a way that your life will follow your declaration, that people should be able to see in my life that Jesus is my master. And to believe that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved, but it's this confession. It's this surrendering to the lordship of Jesus. It's not just showing up to youth group. So he's leading the way. here's the thing. It says when, the Bible says this, when Jesus looked, It says he walked straight toward him. Dang. Like at what point do you think that Judas is going, oh, crud. Oh, this this was a mistake. Jesus didn't take off running. They had to catch him. He wasn't hiding behind a boulder. He didn't climb a tree. No, 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 I don't want to do it. He walked straight toward him. He says, who are you looking for? After Judas came up and... Kissed him on the cheek. A sign of friendship actually became a sign of betrayal. It says, Who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, Here I am. But the Bible says they all hit the floor. They all hit the ground. It doesn't say why, though. And my guess is that maybe, maybe a little bit of his glory leaked out. I am, I'm here. And they get back up. He's like, Who are you looking for? Jesus. I know I'm him. Oh, boom, hit the floor. They all get up and they all kind of get closer. Then one guard puts, an, puts a hand on his shoulder, another one grabs his arm, and all of a sudden they start to bind him. And things get nuts. Some disciples start taking off, and then one of them, Peter, pulls out a sword and hacks off a dude's ear. I mean, like his ear, and I'm like, what were you going for? Like, unless you're just this incredible swordsman, you're like, that's yours. <laughs> Who's next? Unless it's that, or what if it's like this? Peter pulls it out, he's like, ah! And maybe that's why Jesus said, oh, Peter, put it away. <laughs> that is embarrassing. <laughs> And all of a sudden, Jesus goes up and picks up the ear and walks up to Malchus and puts it back on his head and heals him. I'm going to be honest. I would have put it on backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I would have, like, now you can hear behind your back. It's awesome. But he did. Think about it. Jesus heals him. And don't you think at some point all the guys are sitting there going, I'm not doing this. Friends, do you realize that this was put into place before time began? As Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1, before the foundation of the world, you were chosen in him. Think about it. Before the foundation, before God said, let there be light, he said, let them be mine. That is so important. So this whole plan, Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the fall would happen. He knew everything that was necessary. He knew he'd have to endure, and yet he still created. God still put it all into motion. God's still involved in creation. And Jesus knew he would take a cross, and he still came. Why? Because this was the plan of God. I've been asked before, I was asked today, why would God do it? If you already knew all the bad that would happen, why would he do it? What if it was to make sure that we understood how great he actually is? Guys, we can't understand the faithfulness of God if we don't go through difficult things. We can't understand the goodness of God if there's no bad. I would not understand the extent of what God's love is toward me and toward us had it not been for the cross of Jesus. What if God's existence has less to do with making sure we're comfortable by the time that we meet him and everything to do with making sure that he is glorified? What if it's about him? What if it's always been about him? What if he's the main character in every story? So all the disciples bolt, and Jesus is bound, and they take him to the high priest's priest's house, and there's this massive courtyard. John kind of followed behind, and as they got in, he kind of snuck Peter in, but Peter kept his distance, and they start to question him. They bring all these fake witnesses in and none of their stories corroborate. So they're not getting what they want from this. And Jesus just stays silent. And all of a sudden, as Peter's sitting there, I'm I'm wondering if there's this thing going through his head because he'd heard Jesus say this. When Peter said, even if all these slackers, even if they take off, I never will. And Jesus said to him, Peter, they're just gonna leave. You'll be worse than that. You'll deny even knowing me three times. Before morning, no, no, it won't happen. And so as Peter's sitting there, what if all of a sudden that little servant girl comes walking up and says, you were with him. No, I don't know the man. No, no, I saw you. I don't know the man. Jesus is still being accused. And and all of a sudden, a gentleman walks up to Peter and says, you were with him. I can tell by your accent. You're one of his followers. And it's like Peter says this, may God damn me, I don't know him. And the rooster crowed. And the Bible says that Jesus looked up and looked straight into the eyes of Peter, not saying a word. And it says that Peter ran away and wept bitterly. At some point, the high priest looks at Jesus and says, just tell us, are you the Messiah? It's almost like he's getting frustrated. And then Jesus says, you know, it's, it's as you say. And from this moment on, you'll see me coming in the clouds. He's quoting this prophetic, this messianic prophecy from the book of Daniel. They all knew what he was saying. How do I know they knew? Because they like, we've heard enough. And they tear their clothes. This is blasphemy. He deserves to die. Let's take a vote. And they all vote. He needs to be done. He needs to be done. Guys, the fact that this happened in the middle of the night, this is a fake trial. This is illegal. But they didn't care. False accusations made, and Jesus took them. And so fast forwarding and they take him to Pilate, and Pilate says, I don't want to deal with it. Send him to Herod. Goes to Herod, kind of a fake king. Herod, Herod looks and says, hey, do some tricks. Tell me some stuff. And Jesus doesn't really much say much, and he doesn't do any tricks. Herod's like, I don't want to deal with this. Send him back to Pilate. So as Pilate's standing there and he's asking Jesus questions, Jesus isn't saying anything. The religious leaders are accusing him that this person deserves to die because in our law, this blasphemy, this is punishable by death. But this also, this is the guy that's he said that he's a king. So that's up against Caesar. And so as Pilate keeps talking, he's listening he starts having this conversation with Jesus. And when Jesus doesn't say anything, Pilate says something like this. Do you not realize that I have the authority, I have the power to release you? And Jesus says something. This is my paraphrase. Jesus looks at him, and now he speaks up. And remember, this is a paraphrase. This isn't the Greek. He says, oh, Pilate, you're JV. Welcome to varsity. You got no play here. You got nothing here. This has been set in motion before time began, before you even thought of. This is what I came for. Jesus knew that at any moment, he could call myriads of angels to come and to to take him away, to defend him, to protect him. But he didn't. He says, Pilate, this has nothing to do with you. Friends, you have to realize No one took Jesus' life from him. He laid it down. He told him, hey, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down and I will take it back up again. The Bible says that from that moment on, Pilate tried to get him released. But he knew this is like a political game now. And there's this crowd outside. He says, you know what, I've talked to him. I haven't heard anything that he's deserved of death, so I'll just have him flogged. Friends, this is what flogging is. So they would take Jesus, they would strip him of his clothes, and they would take his arms and bind them to this vertical beam so that his back is completely stretched out. And then usually two Roman guards, each of them holding what's called the cat of nine tails. Cat of nine tails, picture a stick about 18 inches long, and at the end of that stick are, are strips of leather, and at the end of those strips of leather are pieces of glass and razor and bone and sharp rock. And from the neck down to the calves, 39 times, they would slash open the back of the person who was being flogged. This was not just a whipping. This was a mutilating. Can you imagine as Jesus is standing there? Here's the Son of God, the creator, hands bound, back exposed. And when that first one came across, oh, just hit him. And what if he just said in his head, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. Guys, the Roman guards were so good at this. They would come across the back and then they would change the angle in which they pulled it so it would rip open. There are historical accounts where a Roman guard could take the cat and nine tails from around, go around the front and disembowel the person. This is torture. Torture. 39 times. Why 39 times? Because too many people died at 40. Can you see why he's in the garden going, I don't want to go? And yet I still don't think that's why he sweat drops of blood. 39 times. Can you imagine after he's done and they release him, he just collapses to the ground. Guys, this is after having up all night. After having temple guards beating him slapping him around. Then the Roman guards, when they're done, they pick him up and they take him before five or 600 Roman guards, a little cohort. And they found this purple robe and they put it on him. and, And then they found these thorns and they made this crown and they put it on his head. And the Bible says to make sure it stayed there, they took a rod and smashed it into his skull. And then what did five or 600 men do? As Jesus stood there just bleeding Oh, hail, king of the Jews. Look at this guy. Oh, hail. They just mocked him. And what if Jesus, under his breath, said, I want them to be with me where I am, to see my glory. Guys, the Bible says that while he's standing there, they'd blindfold him and they would take a rod and slap him upside the head, say, prophesy, who hits you? And they would beat him and ask the same thing. And then they bring him back to Pilate. They put his clothes back on, and he's standing before Pilate, and he's sitting there. Pilate's like, okay, I've got this plan. Because he really does want to release him. He said, here he is. What do you want me to do with him? Crucify him. No, 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 no. No, no, I'm not going to do that. No, crucify him. Crucify him crucify him. And the crowd gets starting loud and louder and louder. And this is the part that blows my mind. This is the same crowd that less than a week before when Jesus is riding on a donkey down through, down through this area, all of a sudden people are going, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That word Hosanna means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Guys, they're declaring in that moment they believe Jesus to be the Messiah and less than a week later, they want him to die. Pilate says, hey, it's normal during this time I'll release one person. So we got this guy, Barabbas, or Jesus. Barabbas, the murderer, the insurrectionist, or Jesus. Guys, this is like a church softball pitch. It should have been obvious. Can you imagine Pilate hearing, give us Barabbas. What? Barabbas, we want him. What do you want to do with him? And it starts up, and it starts up, and it gets loud, and Pilate knew this was all jealousy based upon what the religious leaders were feeling toward Jesus. According to the Bible, the crowd is in a frenzy. And so Pilate goes, he signs an edict, and he brings it back, and he washes his hands in front of the people, and he says, his blood is on you. Religious leaders say something like, not just on us, but on our children as well. He had no clue, I think it was the high priest who said that, he had, no clue who, who, he had no clue he was speaking prophetically about the beauty of the blood of Jesus and what it does for us. So here's this robe. They take it off, put his clothes back on. And as they begin to lead him out, they take the cross beam, just the cross beam, not the whole cross, just the cross beam. This, the vertical beams are already out there. But this crossbeam weighs between eighty to one hundred and twenty pounds, and they would place it across the shoulders of Jesus, and Jesus would what? Embrace it, and he began to walk. But now the crowd's still there, so Roman guards are surrounding him, and each step he takes, all of a sudden, someone breaks through the Roman guards and slaps him. Another person breaks through and. Ch- tears out chunks of his beard, spitting on him, slapping him. And here's the thing, as all that's happening, he just kept walking. He just kept going. It doesn't say it in the scriptures, but have you ever wondered what it looked like in heaven? Do you ever wonder what Michael the archangel with this massive sword, this massive, impressive angel, syndrome, going, send me, I'll destroy them all. The angels don't understand it. They don't get this. They don't get grace. They understood creation. They were there when God made it. But grace, they don't get it. And the Father stays silent. And Jesus just kept taking steps. Why? Who for the joy set before him, he endured. And the joy set before me endured. And what if at each step, I want those you have given me, God? Father, I want those you've given me. At some point, it becomes too heavy for him. Can you imagine as he collapses to the ground to have 80 to 120 pounds land on top of you? And he can't move, and he's stuck, and so a Roman guy finds this guy. He finds this guy named Simon. He says, get over here. You need to finish carrying this. He says, I can't do that. He says, you're going to do that. Pick it up. And what if it was like he, he picks it up and all of a sudden he's somehow helping Jesus up? And what if Jesus looks him straight in the eyes? And what if Jesus has one just swollen shut? And he just mouths it again, I want him to be with me. And Jesus stands up and begins to walk. And Simon's carrying the, the crossbeam. beam. And they get to Golgotha. It's called the Place of the skull. There they would take that cross beam and attach it to the vertical beam that's on the ground. They would take Jesus and completely strip him naked to shame him in front of everyone. They would then lay him across the cross. They would take one arm, completely stretch it out as far as they could, and drive a, ra- drive a railroad spike through the, between the two bones that are in his wrist. You say, well, it's in his hands. Yeah, but in that culture, the forearm to the end of the fingers, that's the hand. Well, why there? Because it's a natural hook. And then they would take the other arm and completely stretch it out as far as they could. And drive a road, drive a road spike through that. And then they'd take one foot, place it over another, and, and pull up his, and, and push up so his knees are bent and drive a spike through both feet. And the Bible says that Jesus prayed this. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we think that we only said it once because it's only written once. Guys, the way that it's worded in the original language meant that Jesus kept saying it. As they're crucifying him, as they're attaching him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive him. Father, forgive him. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. And still, I don't think that's why he sweat drops of blood. And once he's attached, they would bring the cross to vertical. At some point, gravity that was created by Jesus became too strong for its creator. As it went vertical, his body would be pulled down by gravity. Because of the the angle in which his arms are and the weight of gravity, the weight of his body, his shoulders would dislocate, his elbows would dislocate, and he'd be left there. At 9 a.m., he's attached to the cross. Guys, the only way that a person dies in this through crucifixion is through suffocation. You can't breathe. See, when he's hanging, he can inhale when he's down, but in order to exhale or to speak, he'd have to push up on the spike in his feet and pull up on the spikes in his wrists. Guys, he hardly says anything from the cross. But in order he has to exhale. So he'd have to push up, and it wouldn't be these long breaths, it would be these short. Uh, 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 for six hours, he's just hanging there trying to breathe. And about noon, it says that the sky went dark like midnight. And Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthai," Which means this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken Guys, it's the only time I've seen Jesus pray and not call God Father. Every other time he prays, he says, Father, Father. But in this moment, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would he change it? Friends, this is my conviction of why he changed it. Because in this moment, he says, why have you forsaken It's my conviction that in this moment, Jesus was experiencing the full and complete wrath of God for every sin of the person before Jesus in that moment, of every person on the planet in that moment, and all of us to follow after. The weight of the sin on Jesus and the wrath deserving. That sin deserved all the full and complete wrath of God, and Jesus took it all. He became what the Bible says this is the propitiation, the new target of the wrath of God. That's why I think he sweat drops of blood. Because the Trinity had never experienced that. What agony did the Father experience? The Son, what agony did the Holy Spirit experience in this moment? Friends, he only made it six hours. That was kind of unheard of. There's historical accounts of people would be on a cross for uh, two weeks. And from the cross, he says these words as he's getting ready to die. After he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The same one he just said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now he's saying, Father, and I commit to you, me. And then at some point he says, It's finished. And he dies. The friends, that phrase, it is finished, is actually a banker's term. He literally said, Paid in full. It's paid for. Guys, he died. And I used, to, I used to stop there with this story just to get people feeling bad. And then I could make people make decisions because I needed my ego stroked as a preacher. Just get people to cry, and boom, there it is. Until a kid asked me one time at a camp 20 something years ago. The next day, he's like, I came forward. you see it? I did. Hey, what happened next? I'm like, Brett, why weren't you listening? And I went, oh, It's because I never told you the rest. I didn't tell you the best part. I left Jesus on the cross. I said, Oh, I'll never forget to finish the story. Friends, Jesus died on a Friday, and on Sunday, Jesus kicked death in the face and came back from the dead. How could Jesus say, it's finished, die, say, it's done, like, I'm going to come back, it's finished? How can he be so sure? Because it was impossible for death to hold him down. He was going to come back from the dead, and nothing was going to stop him. Friends, he came back from the dead. You know why that's so important? Because if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, that would have meant that death beat him. And if Jesus couldn't beat death, then we can't beat death, and we're all jacked. The resurrection is the pivotal moment. The most important thing that happened in all of human history was the resurrection of Christ. And that gave us victory over sin and death. And all the punishment that we deserve, Jesus took it. Why? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, because he's alive. As the worship team comes back out, I just want you to get real honest for just a second. Friends, I'm not going to ask you, do you want to accept Jesus as your savior? I'm not going to ask you, you want to accept him into your life? Because you don't have one outside of Jesus. You're just living. But it's not a life. How do I know? Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So if you don't have Christ, you don't have a life. It's a surrendering to the lordship of Jesus. It's saying, I want to follow you. Friends, it blows my mind. People just say, okay, just get them saved and then they can decide if they want to follow Christ. Absolutely not. You have to come to a decision. Do you want to follow Jesus? Is he worth it? And when you say yes, Jesus goes, here's salvation. That's free. It's not one and then. It's all together. We don't need more people to just have a holy moment experience on a mountaintop. That didn't really mean I want to follow Christ. We need people who say, okay, this is what Jesus is inviting me to. I get it. Yeah, you're master. I'm not. I give up all my rights. I want to follow you and to hear Jesus go, then you're mine. Salvation is yours. You have changed from sinner to saint. Sinner, you're adopted in the family of God. You are now son or daughter of the king. That's what happens when you surrender to Jesus. So here's how we're going to do it. I want to make sure you understand this. You do not have to stand up. You don't. You are not saved by any work. But you do have to confess Jesus as the Lord. You have to say, Jesus, your master. I believe you died across, came back from the dead, and I'm calling out to you. That's what Romans 10 says. But you don't have to stand up. So why am I going to invite you to stand up? So you can remember on this date, the 21st of July, 2022, that's when I... That's when I followed Jesus. That's when I started. That's when I received his gift of salvation. Maybe for some of you, already done it sometime this week, and this is your opportunity. And I'm going to ask you to stand if you want to. Instead of going, oh, I'm a little nervous. Then don't do it. You're not saved by work, but how cool to remember. I remember that's the day I stood up. And here's how we're going to do it. It's going to be every head up, every eye open. Why? I don't understand. I was explaining to the, your, youth, your youth leaders earlier. The Bible says that all of heaven celebrates when one who is lost comes home. And they're like having a party, and we're like this. I remember being at a camp when I first started ministry, and the guy up front, guys, Ever, close your, bow your heads, close your eyes. I thought I had to. He says, if you want to accept Jesus in your heart, just raise your hand. So I, I started hearing him count. I see that hand. I see that hand see that hand one two i'm like well, who is it i want to know if it's my kids i look and all of a sudden when i look he goes no peeking i'm like oh i'm sorry sorry don't send me to hell i'm so sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> and he keeps counting one two three four twelve I'm like four twelve what the heck i mean you're stupid you don't have to count ah uh, 307 two hundred sixty-five thousand. like there's 300 people here like the whole county just got saved never understood that how amazing to watch it happen the most amazing miracle ever is when a person passes from death to life so you don't have to stand up but if at this moment you want to say hey i'm standing up because sometime this week or tonight i'm saying i want to follow jesus and he is lord of my life and i received his gift of salvation if that's you and you want to enter into the family of god and be a disciple of Jesus and know that you are forgiven and saved and your identity's changed from sinner to saint would you do me a favor would you stand up and let us know just so that we can celebrate with you and everyone's looking and it's awesome would you stand up anybody Thank you. For those of you who are surrendering your life to Christ, I'm just going to ask you two questions. By standing, and answer out loud one word. By standing, are you saying that Jesus is Lord of your life? Yes. And by standing are you declaring to him and to all of us that you want to follow him the rest of your life, that you believe that he died on a cross and came back from the dead, yes. then welcome to the family. I think that's it. <laughs> You guys can have a seat. Real quick. I'm, hang, I'm going quick. Hang there. For those of you, you've got to come back. You made some profession of Jesus a while back. You don't, you're you not following, you're off on your own. You've got to come home. You've got to come back. And you know it. The conviction of the Holy Spirit's on you. It's like this weight on your neck, and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. Why would he do it? Because he loves you. He's coming. Hey, come home. you got to repent. You're turning away from sin. Those of you that stood, you turned from sin and you're coming to Jesus. You can't come to Christ without repenting. For some of you, you're living in sin. He's like, you got to repent and you got to come back. If that's you with everyone watching, would you stand up? No shame. This is beautiful. Awesome. Anybody else? for those that stood up and for those that say I just couldn't stand up it's fine again that doesn't do anything for those that say I needed to come back welcome home welcome back welcome back I'm so glad could we all stand we're gonna go back into worship we're gonna sing to Jesus real quick but let's pray shall we let's pray Father, thank you But tonight you did what, I, what we asked for. We thank you that we got to witness people pass from death to life. God, the most amazing miracle we could ever watch. This makes the splitting of the Red Sea look like peewee football. This, this is it. Father, I thank you for those who said that they've surrendered their life. They're followers of Jesus, and I thank you that they're saved. They're rescued. They're forgiven. They've repented from sin, and they're coming to you. God, for those who say they needed to come back, God, I thank you that they're doing that. And then for all of us who love you and follow you, God, I pray we would continue in this life of confession and repentance, that we would be disciples of you, because Jesus, you're worth it. And Jesus, I thank you that your cross is your declaration to us, that we are worth it to you. So in this time as we give you praise and worship you, to you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor for you alone are worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says amen. Love you more than you know.